Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard It's episode 18 of the world's finest Eric Roberts-centered podcast. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. I'm your host, Doug Tilly, and to start the show this week, we're doing something a little bit different. Longtime listeners already know that we started this podcast with my brother and Eric Roberts at my side, Mr. Todd Regney. Those who've listened to the most recent episode learned some very unfortunate news. Todd has sadly recently had to leave the show, and it's left me in a massive conundrum. I'm left without... Uh, my right-hand man, and uh, and if I leave it as it is, if I leave myself as the only host, people will quickly realize that I don't have much to talk about, and that I don't really know very much about Eric Roberts, and maybe I probably shouldn't have started this podcast in the first place. So anyone who's listened for a long time now already knows that I'm no good on my own, but who could possibly be dumb enough to join me on this journey, journey through the life, career, and works of actor Eric Roberts? Who could have the chutzpah or the lack of common sense to want to take a blood oath, yes, a blood oath, to cover all of the Eric Roberts projects that exist? Well, the answer to that question will be answered right now. Uh, it actually comes in the form of Mr. Liam O'Donnell from Cinepunks.com and the Cinepunks podcast, who some of you might know as a previous guest, actually a previous co-host on this very show, and he's generously agreed to join Eric Roberts as the fucking man as our new permanent co-host how are you today liam i'm pretty good i i feel good i feel good about this commitment uh and even the blood oath aspect i feel okay i feel good about that i was worried you'd be nervous about the blood oath i've never taken a blood oath dot 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 over the internet so that's a little interesting but otherwise i feel pretty comfortable with blood oaths now do you feel comfortable even aside from the blood oath about devoting the rest of your life your very existence (laughs) To Eric Roberts. I mean, in a sense, mm-hmm. haven't we all devoted our lives to Eric Roberts? Well, in a sense, I have. Because <laughs> I have a podcast that's called Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. But I would say your average Joe on the street, he may or may not, and I, or I shouldn't say he, he or she may or may not have really devoted a large portion of their life to the oeuvre of Eric Roberts. Probably only like in two-hour increments at a time. We, on the other hand have to really kind of focus our attention on really the bulk of the work of his entire career. I mean, that's fair, but Eric Roberts is so prolific. No one, I think, who watches anything in the English language can escape him for long. No, if you're going to watch more than one thing in a year, you're going to see Eric Roberts. Yes, you will definitely dip in and out of Eric Roberts' career, but we will not dip. We will not put our little toe in the Eric Roberts Pond. We are going to dive in head first. And in order to dive in head first, you have to commit yourself, Liam. And again, I'm so happy to have you here. And I was so happy to have you as our guest co-host previously. But this is a different level of commitment that I'm asking from you. Okay. <laughs> it's Rich. a blood oath. Sorry. I, I Sorry. Wow, I'm Canadian. <laughs> you are so Canadian. <laughs> uh, you're going to have to take this a little 
more seriously. Because the fact is, as you just alluded to, the Eric Roberts IMDb page is a vast, limitless, endless thing. And in order to cover it, we really will. I mean, this is just the reality of it. We will have to spend the rest of our lives recording this podcast. I mean, not in one go. We'll do it in segments, episodes that will continue biweekly for, you know, the foreseeable future. Sure. Right. So it's going to take a long time. And I mean, there are going to be events that you're going to want to have attended that you're not going to be able to attend because you're going to be recording a podcast about Eric Roberts. I understand that. Uh, yeah. But I just feel like, in a sense, because of the vastness of his work, I mean, I feel like I'm dedicating myself to something, to someone worthy of that level of dedication. Yes. You know? Right. Just because he's done a lot of stuff. So much stuff. <laughs> so Unbelievable. much stuff. I, I, I think the only part, to be honest, that gives me anxiety is when we've somehow made it through most of the major films and then <laughs> yeah, you're coming the, like, you're coming on to the podcast in a kind of a transitionary stage where we've covered almost all of the 1980s work and we're moving into mm, some of the more esoteric projects yeah that's i think that's the only thing if this was episode one i think i'd still have hope like oh there's some great eric roberts movies i've never gotten to check out but i mean we're probably only a few months away from all music video episode or like random guest appearances and horrible straight to dvd movies and so I think my my excitement is it's now moved into a sort of a morbid fascination, which is no less excited, but it's certainly not the joy I might feel at a different oh, stage in the project. I feel the complete. <laughs> I feel like we've gotten those ones that people care about out of the way. And now we can have some interesting conversations. The, the with, meat of the matter, the real the grit. The grit. I mean, not the meat of the matter, as we all know, um, Eric Roberts is a vegetarian. But we're really getting into a lot of, of lesser known, more interesting material, like TV shows, like an appearance on King of Queens, like a whole season of Celebrity Rehab or the music videos, as you refer to. Then we get to have guests who really don't know what's going on and can be totally confused about the concept of the show. And that just makes things more interesting and more fun for both me and you, because you are now the co-host of the show. I'm pretty stoked. Yeah. In fact, uh, I said that maybe a little bit prematurely, because though I am very happy to have you with me on this journey, before we can make that official, we're going to have to do the blood oath. Uh, an oath of promise that sanctifies your commitment to the Eric Roberts cause. And I, again, I will repeat, do not take this oath, oath lightly, uh, Liam. <laughs> it actually represents you giving... The rest of your life to all things Eric Roberts. I understand. Okay. I'm glad you understand. Now, I am going to require you to prick your finger. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll just wait for you to do that. Hold hold your finger up to the microphone so we can all hear the <laughs> All right. All right. So you have a little bit of blood going, which is very nice. Now, Liam, repeat after me. As burns the saint, as burns the saint, so will burn my soul, so will burn my soul. I enter alive and I will have to get out dead. I enter alive and I will have to get out dead. Excellent. Now repeat this. May I hold Eric Roberts in my heart. May I hold Eric Roberts in my heart. For as long as I may live. For as long as I may live. 
And may hungry wasps eat my eyes if I betray him. And may hungry wasps eat my eyes if I betray him? Yes, yes, <laughs> See, eat my you, eyes. <laughs> you seemed a little uncertain at the end there, but you did say the words. It's intense. It's a little intense, but I, I, let's go with it. Excellent. Okay. May Eric Roberts be with you, Liam. <laughs> and also with you. Okay. Welcome aboard. Our journey is about to begin. Eric, I, uh, Eric, you're not Eric. You're Liam. Liam. <laughs> I can't remember if on your previous appearance, if we really went into your Eric Roberts history, but I feel like this is a good place to begin. When was the first time you were aware of Eric Roberts? Honestly, and we're going to cover this a little bit, but I think mm-hmm. it was actually one of today's films, Best of the Best 2. Um, in fact, when I chose Best of the Best 2, it's because I thought I had seen Best of the Best 1, and I remember thinking, oh, that was my first Eric Roberts movie. Upon watching Best of the Best 2, I now think I've only seen Best of the Best 2, and that was my first Eric Roberts movie. Not to give away one of the things we're covering on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you may have seen Best of the Best 2 first. I have but- clear memories of him with his majestic hair fighting. And I, I'm not 100% sure which of the films I'm thinking of, but it, that's – my image of him was as an action star in some sense. Well, as fans of the Best of the Best series know, his hair was very different between the first and second chapters of that series. That's what I thought. That's what I was afraid of when I started watching the movie. <laughs> yes. Well, your fear – we will get into your fear in a little while. Sure. What is your favorite Eric Roberts movie, Liam O'Donnell? <laughs> Oh, that's a good question. These are the questions that you have to answer if you're going to be co-hosting an Eric Roberts-related podcast. No, it's true. And mm-hmm. um, why can't I remember? You even covered it on the show. Uh, King of – what is it? What is his name again? Uh, I should have mm-hmm. written this down. And, <laughs> I hate you so much. I should have written this down in preparation. Actually, King I'll... of the something? Uh, gypsies or something like that? Or God Oh, we don't it. use that word on Eric Roberts is the fucking man. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're correct. It was King of Gypsies from 1978. Yes. When you, I had, when you, uh, discussed it on the show, I remember thinking, that sounds very familiar. And I went back and realized not only had I seen it, but I had very positive members of it. So I rewatched it because of the show. And I was like, wow, this is officially my favorite Eric Roberts movie. Hey. Which be- prior to this, I could only name some of his later work. I'm somewhat familiar with the early movies, but not in a very strong way. But I, I, you know, I thought of like, oh, well, he has that one bit in this movie or one bit in that movie. Some of the smaller roles. This is why I'm sure you were very glad to be able to choose the two features that we're going to be covering today, because you get to delve into the history of Eric Roberts, either either things that you're very curious about or things that you've seen previously and wanted to investigate a little further. Sure. And we do, of course, of course, promote that listeners of the show seek out the same films that we're talking about, because, you know, it's it's a it's it's like a play at home version of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Yeah, I like that. Uh, the, we we should give them a guide. You know, at at this point, you want to look for this, or you know, it's like our own. Uh, co- well, not an actual commentary because that's too much work, but mm-hmm. just a written list would be sufficient. I think. I agree one hundred percent, Liam. Sure, it's time for the Roberts Report. Yes. A light week of news in the Eric Roberts verse this go around, but we will, of course, have a lot of interesting things to cover here on the Roberts Report. 
the biggest news of the past couple of weeks regarding Eric Roberts is that out on DVD and Blu-ray this week, the week that we are releasing this episode, is The Condemned 2 from WWE Studios featuring pro wrestler Randy Orton along with Eric Roberts playing his dad. And uh, this is a sequel to a film that starred Stone Cold Steve Austin, and I know very little about it because I haven't seen the first one. But the plot is, because we have talked about this previously but haven't gone into the plot, a former bounty hunter who finds himself on the run as part of a revamped condemned tournament in which convicts are forced to fight each other to the death as part of a game that's broadcast to the public. Um, so I guess I guess that sounds interesting to me. Uh, in fact, Randy Orton, the uh, star and director Roel Reine, hmm, uh previously worked together in the film 12 Rounds 2, which I also have not seen, but I did see the first 12 Rounds, which starred John Cena, and I thought that it really... Really sucked. What do you feel about The Condemned 2, Liam? I'm not going to pretend that I know who Randy Orton is. Uh, He's a professional wrestler. I mean, I'm aware of what his job is. I I just couldn't pick him out of a lineup. Uh, Have you never seen – there's a pretty uh, well-regarded meme – of Randy Orton doing his finishing maneuver, the RKO, uh, he's been edited into like fail videos, people falling off their bicycles. And sure, 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 what, sure. Sure, you, you know. When you say that, I'm like, oh, yeah, meme, I know about I mean, that's basically prior to recent film work, that's how I knew who John Cena was, was sure. all the John Cena memes. And then suddenly he's in films, and I'm like, oh, that's a guy who I recognize as a guy. Mm-hmm. So, so there you go. But uh, yeah, I don't, I, I, uh, I mean, we're obviously going to have to watch The Condemned 2, so I we guess will. I'm That's excited true. to watch it. But I don't know. I have a really mixed relationship with pro wrestlers in movies. Um, okay. Well, and, you know, there's obviously positive examples like They Live and Hell Comes to Frogtown. Um yeah, that's that's about it on the positive examples that I can think of. Though. I hesitate to mention that both of those films star the same pro wrestler. <laughs> right, that was that was intentional. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, Rocky Three isn't terrible, I guess, because um, Hulk Hogan's in that one. Um, but, uh, Thunder Lips. Thunder, yes, Thunder Lips is his name. In the, which God, I I just I had forgotten that, and now that you remind <laughs> me, I'm filled with shame for Philadelphia <laughs> as a Philadelphian. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, Honestly, uh, with pro wrestlers in movies, I mean, there are some great examples, some surprise examples. I mean, even John Cena, I didn't love Trainwreck, but he was really funny in it. And I read that he improvised a lot of his lines, that his whole movie scene was just him riffing. And the level of jokes were above what I would prejudiciously have assumed he was capable of. So, you know, I'm kind of stoked on that. But a lot of times when you throw a wrestler into a martial arts movie, they're the most awkward guy in the movie. Like a lot of people who do uh, choreographed fighting in these martial arts films seem to be a lot more dynamic than the wrestlers. The obvious exception being The Rock. Did you know that uh, classic Western actor Woody Strode actually did some pro wrestling in his day? Really? No, I did not know that. See? Lots of interesting tidbits like that spread around Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Have you ever seen No Holds Barred? Yes. Now that, of course, co-starred Tony Tony Lister, uh, who has appeared with Eric Roberts in a number of different movies. I did including not know First Dog. First Dog? What is First Dog? First Dog was uh, featured on the very first episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man and involves um, a young boy trying to get the president's dog back to the president, who is played by Eric oh, Roberts. Yes, I remember. <laughs> and he's traveling cross-country, and uh, Tony, uh, Tony Lister plays a truck driver who helps him along the way. 
Oddly enough, that was not one of the films that I sought out after listening to the podcast. First Dog, directed by Brian Michael Stoller, <laughs> who is from Peterborough, Ontario, Canada, which is where I am right now. Wow. Did that mm-hmm. make you feel closer to celebrity? Oh, I always feel closer to celebrity because I do a podcast about Eric Roberts. That's fair. <laughs> now, over at allafrica.com, there's a recently published article called A Produces Trip to Jamaica for Jamaicans. And this is about a film that we mentioned on a recent episode called A Trip to Jamaica. And it elaborates a little bit on its creation. I'm just going to read a little bit from this article. Popular Nigerian comedian Ayo Makun, who's just known as A, I guess, has said that his new movie, Trip to Jamaica, was inspired by his knowledge of how Jamaicans patronize Nigerian films. A, who is the producer of the film, said the movie would hit the screens in months to come. In a chat with journalists, A said he intended to take the film to the Jamaicans for the love that they show to the Nigerian movie industry. They always want to watch our movies, so the best way to appreciate them back is to do something within their premise and create an aesthetic balance. This will make them like Nollywood even more, A said. He also said that the movie would feature popular actor Eric Roberts, who is well-loved by the Jamaicans. Did you know that, Liam, that Eric Roberts is a beloved actor in Jamaica? I would really like to know which of his films are rocking Jamaican audiences. That's now, what I this, that is an excellent question, Liam O'Donnell. If you had to guess what is the most popular Eric Roberts movie in Jamaica, what would it be? <laughs> Probably The Prophecy 2? Prophecy 2? That could be. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't think it's Raggedy Man. <laughs> um, okay. I don't know. I, that, that's a hard question. I, I, to be honest, I'm not sure what films are popular with Jamaican audiences. And I feel like any assumption I would make would be based off of like horrible Jamaican stereotypes, like something related to weed or something. But um, I would love to know that for real. Like, what is it? I mean, assuming this isn't just talk, but assuming that Eric Roberts is super popular in Jamaica, I would love to know, well, wh- which which parts of his career? Because it's a huge, I mean, what would that say about the audiences watching it? There's so many things to choose from, whatever it is that's popular. Why that thing, you know? I was, I would, I just for a moment thought, wouldn't it be amusing for me to try to do a impression of a Jamaican accent <laughs> talking about my love for Eric Roberts? But I think that we should all be happy that I decided not to do that. I, I'm going to go ahead and thank you for not doing that. Yes. I, I was joking with my wife a little earlier about this article, and I said that it was called, the movie's going to be called A Trip to Jamaica because that's why Eric Roberts is doing the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not a knock against them. Again, I, I I actually think this is really interesting because if this film is technically a Nollywood film, I mean, would Eric Roberts be the largest star who's ever been in a Nollywood movie? It's, I mean, I'm actually unsure of that because I'm aware of the Nollywood uh, phenomena, but right. I, don't, I don't know if there's been crossover with other actors outside of that context and i'm also unsure of who's popular like so you could say like well because this actor is well known in america they're the biggest sort of crossover but maybe that person is doing things in in uh you know quote unquote nollywood and people don't really know who they are so i'm unsure i it does it sort of encourages me though that eric roberts is willing to do a variety of things this doesn't seem necessarily like something he's done before and i kind of think that's cool Oh, he's done a variety of things. <laughs> yes, yes. And one of those variety of things has been recently been added to his IMDb page, his ever-expanding IMDb page, is a film called Q4 Dream Corporation, 
which is a science fiction movie from director Tim McCourt. In Q4, Dream Corporation, this is the uh, description as uh, on the Internet Movie Database. It says it's a futuristic thriller about the government attempting to control people's sleeping habits. It says Madsen plays the role of antagonist Brandon Payton, who runs a corporation that is connected to manipulating people's dreams. Now, I didn't find anyone in the cast named Madsen, so I don't know what that's <laughs> necessarily referring to. But I did find Eric Roberts, who's playing systems analyst Faraday in the uh, in the movie, which is supposed to come out sometime in 2016. Does Eric Roberts strike you as a systems analyst? Um, well, this isn't 1984 anymore. Liam, a systems analyst can be a cool guy with really great hair. Sure, sure. They can. Um, he can be a cool, hip, laid-back kind of do- dude with like a drawl-speaking way of saying words. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Eric Roberts could totally be a systems analyst. But that does that, – that is kind of a weird description, systems analyst Faraday for a character. And I'm very curious to see how he fits into the context of this strange science fiction movie. Yeah, I would like to see. I mean, I would I would be interested to know exactly what that's about. I, I, I'm also very curious about this Madsen character. Are we talking Michael Madsen? Like now that the- that is an excellent question, especially because the sort of tier of films that we tend to see Eric Roberts in these days, they that that is a tier that is shared, of course, by Mr. Tom Sizemore, uh, and uh, but also by sometimes uh, Michael Madsen, and that's also interesting because. Recently on the Eric Roberts is the fucking man podcast, we did discuss that Eric Roberts himself mentioned that he was almost in the hateful eight, which also had Michael Madsen in it. And in fact, I, uh, I guessed on this very podcast that maybe the role that Eric Roberts might have been uh, tagged for would have been the Michael Madsen role. That's interesting. I, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I don't know if it would have mattered if it was him or Michael Madsen in that role. I feel like either one of them – I mean, not that yeah. I didn't like Michael Madsen's performance, but I feel like Eric Roberts definitely could have held his own in that role. Now, my understanding, Liam O'Donnell, yeah. is that you covered The Hateful Eight on a recent episode of your Cinepunks podcast. We did. We, we got into detail on it. We went deep on it. Well, we won't go deep here about it. But can you just give me a, maybe a one- or two-word response? Did you like The Hateful Eight? Yes, yes, mm. I did. I, I'm a, I'm an unapologetic to some small extent Tarantino fan. I think uh, there, you know, there were a number of complaints about the film that we felt obligated to address, um, and some of those I'm very sympathetic to, and I feel like he can be a difficult uh, director in some ways. But I felt like this movie. Yeah, it just really compelled me. I really liked it. I really, I really, I wouldn't necessarily. I didn't. I in fact did not put it in my top uh, ten movies of the year, but but I definitely enjoyed it. Now that does beg a follow up question, Liam. Why do you hate women? <laughs> I should have known that. That's where we were going with this. <laughs> I, I, no, I'm uh, sure you get into that on your podcast. I'm not going to badger you on the subject. And in fact, I like the movie quite a bit myself. But uh, now that does bring us onto a different line of questioning, which is that you mentioned your top 10 of the year. What is your top one movie of 2015? You know, I believe it was Phoenix. Phoenix. It's a movie that Sarah Kirchhark, who was a recent guest, was praising up and down. But unfortunately, I've yet to see. 
Oh, it's well, I was about to say it's on Netflix, but you Canadians have a different Netflix than us. Oh, this Canadian doesn't. This Canadian has US Netflix at least for the next couple of weeks because apparently they're going to they're going to put the the hammer down on people accessing that. <laughs> well, while you have US Netflix, I would recommend seeing it because um not only was it well acted, tense, like very uh, very sort of gripping in a lot of ways without being uh, over the top. There's no like action, but it's a very sort of tense film. It has one of my favorite endings uh, ever. So oh. I don't want to say anything about that. I would just say definitely if you get a chance, see it. So who does Eric Roberts play in Phoenix? Uh, he's you know what? It's a real subtle. You might miss it. Uh, oh, I don't want to well. ruin it for you. It's a it's a surprise. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll keep, <laughs> we'll keep our eyes out for that, especially if it's on Netflix right now. I have no excuse not to watch it except for all the Eric Roberts movies I have to watch. Yeah. Well, if you can if you can squeeze it in between various Eric Roberts. Oh, I can squeeze it in. <laughs> well, not only Eric Roberts movies, but also all of your uh, nightmares without a budget. I uh, I have a lot of shit I need to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm falling behind already in 2016, but that's okay. Everyone calm down for a second. That's the end of the Roberts Report. We're actually about to take our first break in just a minute. But before we do, usually this would be the time where I introduce the two films that we're going to cover. But I'm going to leave that to my new co-host. Liam, what have you chosen for us to watch today? Well, uh, first, mm-hmm. uh, we cho- I chose 1989's Blood Red. Blood Red. Blood Red, a film that was not a fun watch. Well, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. (laughs) And then second, as we've already mentioned, Best of the Best 2. Right. Two very similar kind of movies, I would say. Uh, Sure. (laughs) In that they both feature Eric Roberts in a lead role. Yeah, that's fair. Right. Uh, But I have some subtle differences that we will discuss. But uh, let's take our first break. We'll listen to a bit of music. I'll see if I can track down that Blood Red trailer. And then we'll get to talking about 1989's Blood Red. Sicilian family. How many of you will stay and fight? From 1989, Blood Red, directed by Peter Masterson, who uh, was actually quite well known at the time for his film The Trip to Bountiful, which won a bunch of awards in the early 80s. Uh, For some reason, Blood Red was filmed in 1986, but not released until 1989. Now, we can guess at that reason while we're having our discussion, Liam. But before we do... 
Uh, I want to talk about your reaction to the movie. But before we get to that, let's just go into the plot just for a moment. It's about the history of a Sicilian family who emigrated to America years ago and now live in California cultivating wine. Uh, The problems start when they have to confront themselves with a powerful landowner, played by Dennis Hopper, who, (laughs) in this description it says, who comports like the local boss. I I should know what that word comport means. But basically, they try to run them out of their land because they want to build a railroad through it. So, uh, Liam, what did you think of this historical tale of Sicilian families? Honestly, if it wasn't for the brief, very brief uh, scene of nudity, I assume this movie was made for TV for very little money. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was as soon as it started, I thought, oh, oh, this is a this is a made for TV film. And then as it went forward, I'm like, oh, this was made for a bad channel, a channel which doesn't like to invest in its <laughs> in its content. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those films that maybe suffers in such a way that it doesn't do anything particularly interesting. Like sometimes when you watch a truly bad movie, it's almost amusing, but this movie, it really sucked away my will to live in a very real way. Uh, there were a few, there were a few amusing moments, a few things that made me laugh, but I was searching, I was searching for them. I was searching for some hope within the film. Uh, though the, obviously the highlight of the movie is, is for me, Dennis Hopper in the worst possible way. We'll we'll talk about him in just a moment. It's interesting that in a movie that is about wine, it's such a flavorless, bland uh, demonstration of this material. I mean, it's so – at its heart, it's really just a very, very simple revenge movie. Uh, you sure. Know, the, the landowner tries to get all these families off of their land, specifically Eric Roberts' family uh, and his father, played by Giancarlo uh, Giannini, who's really good in this. Uh, really the only one who's who, – I think it's just because of how he speaks. It's such a – a florid – I love that language and his accent is so great. But um, they try to, to force them off the land. They refuse. Eventually, all of these um, assholes come to town led by Burt Young and they murder Eric Roberts' father. And then the rest of the movie is them getting revenge for that murder. And that sound makes it sound like it's like interesting, almost like a godfather-ish except like in the, way in the past uh, type story. But it's not. It is so bland and so – it's missing so much um, pacing, but also it doesn't have any kind of heart at its center because you don't really give a shit about what's happening because they haven't defined those relationships well enough going into it. So they really kind of briefly show that Eric Roberts and his father, they have kind of different opinions about uh, about his future and he doesn't really want to work on the land, but they're really focused on like what land means, especially for an immigrant. But at the end of the day, no one comes off well in this everyone feels like they're just like you said it feels very made for tv but not made for cable you know made for a station that that has very little funds but it doesn't make any sense because this movie came after as i mentioned the trip to bountiful and it has a a strong cast what went wrong here i i honestly don't know it's i i mean when you described it i was reminded about I don't know if I've seen any movie involving multiple acts of terrorism that is this boring. I don't know <laughs> if I've seen any movie with uh, <clears throat> this much going on related. I mean, I'm sort of a, a nerd when it comes to politics and sure. social politics. And mm-hmm. this is a movie that deals with capitalism. It deals with immigrants. Mm-hmm. It deals with the relationship between recent immigrants to the people that are already there. It deals with strange political uh, uh, you know, 
wheeling and dealing, and yet none of that is how everything feels perfunctory. Every moment of the film feels like, well, we just got to get this out of the way to get to the good part until the movie's over. Like, the, yeah. even the climax, you're kind of like, oh, we're here now. This is what we're doing. Okay. All right. Here we go. We're going to finish it up. This is what we're going to do. And nothing about it feels. <clears throat> there's no tension at no moment am I like, oh, what's what's going to happen to Eric Roberts and the nameless <laughs> young lady who likes him? Or what's going to happen to uh, – She's know? pregnant now. I mean I don't know how that happened. It must have been a fucking miracle birth. But, <laughs> but she is just suddenly pregnant. Well, and, and there's even this – everything is hinted at. It's hinted at that the – tracker these get into the plot a little bit sure these these there's these thugs that are hired by the railroad uh the mysteriously irish railroad which i don't <laughs> understand and they hire this mexican it's a big deal he's a mexican tracker we hire the, <laughs> we got this mexican tracker and there's a moment where the mexican tracker is so put off by the stupidity and mild racism of his compatriots that he just, out of like a grudging respect, lets them escape. Only you have to guess at a lot of that because they only show you that in like two shots. Like I don't think I picked shots. up on that at all. There's a moment where they where they go down the hill sideways and he doesn't tell anybody. And he oh, that's this right. Look, and you can tell – I mean like I said – Thinking about that scene, I'm like, well, why the fuck is he letting them go? I have to put it together myself. Like, well, I guess he's frustrated with his compete. But they, you know, there's one line where he's like, what about this? Don't worry about that. Just, we got to find him. And I mean, a lot of the relationships felt this way that you're supposed to get what things are like from two to three sentences. And then we're just going to move on, which I guess I would be used to in an action movie, but there's no real compelling action set pieces either. Like nothing. There's one really cool explosion when they blow up the train and that's about it. That's like the whole movie for me that and recognizing all the various actors in this film who don't have big roles who I would come to know later on. It's it. This is a movie that is trying to say something about the immigration sorry <clears throat> about the immigrant experience in America right i mean i think if you get right down to it you know the the sicilians in the movie they have a lot more respect for the land they have kept a close relationship with their roots and then you have dennis hopper's william bradford berrigan who is an irish immigrant who has forgotten where he came from i guess is the implication and uses thuggery and and actually uses a lot of politics to kind of maneuver around all the rules and in fact like it starts with him promising all these jobs for the sicilian community but of course does not deliver on any of it he just hires cheap chinese labor instead and then you have the that element with the uh with the mexican bounty hunter or whatever uh, that they bring in he and and i guess he recognizes the kind of perverse nature of the immigrant experience of this Irish gentleman. So I guess like that is what it's trying to say, but it's so convoluted and it's so simplistic that it doesn't end up saying anything of consequence. It just like everyone becomes like a white hat, black hat type thing. Dennis Hopper's character has this and we'll just get into it right now, has a ridiculous Irish accent. I mean, just the most, you know, 60s Batman <laughs> cop. Not only is it offensive at my core, it's like the first thing in the movie, too. It's like the movie doesn't hold back on Dennis Hopper's Irish accent. It's like in the first five minutes, they just want you to know, okay, Dennis Hopper's in this movie, guys, and he's going to do this accent. And you just have to go with us on this. Like we, we're just going to drop it on you right away, and hopefully it's not going to be too bad. And then what do you say in there, Liam O'Donnell? <laughs> it's the word. I don't think I've ever heard an Irish accent as bad as this. In a, what about in the one I'm using movie? right now, then? Well, you're not in a major motion picture. Well, I could be. Or, I prefer. 
<laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. At least if he, it's it's as if he was trying to do the awful Irish accent. Right. He can't even get there. He can't even get to the caricature, let alone actually sounding like an Irish, like a person of any Irish descent. It's why did they cast him? I mean, but he's not the only one. Like other than uh, uh, Giancarlo Giannini. Um, most of the film feels pretty miscast, or, yeah, or maybe even not- the Sicilians, like they don't seem like they're Italian. Even the older no, ones, in none. There. Yeah, yeah, it's really strange. Now, if I was to say to you, Liam O'Donnell, sure, that there's a scene in this movie where Eric Roberts, after seeing his father be murdered in front of his very eyes, he decides to call two of his out of town cousins to come in and help them, to help him get revenge. One of them played by Michael Madsen. One of them played by Elias Codias. And they are going to get guns and they're going to kick ass with their Native American friend. And that's what the second half of this movie is going to be. If I was to say that to you, you'd probably say, that sounds like a pretty good movie. I mean, I would if I hadn't seen this movie. That's it. When you (laughs) see it, you realize it's not good at all. Those elements are all wasted. I don't think Michael Madsen has like one line in this movie. Yeah. And it's not even it's it's not a character. It's. Basically, what any sort of buddy would say—it's—I don't even remember exactly what it was—but it's such a fucking throwaway. It's the sort of line that if you were working on the script, you would have to say, "We don't need this. Get rid of this. Why is this in the movie? This doesn't need to be there." Um, can you help me out with this, Elias Codius? Mm-hmm. Why do I know who he is? Is that—I'm trying—I'm reaching back into my brain, and I oh, feel like he's in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie. He is. He's Casey Jones from the Teenage Mutant. Yes, Casey Jones. But he's, he's also a Canadian actor and therefore has been in every Canadian movie throughout the 1990s, sure. including Crash and Exotica. Um, but he's he's done tons and tons of work uh, and, of course, was in the prophecy – the prophecy, the first prophecy. Oh, he was in the first pro- – well, and honestly, I mean, when I say he was in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I'm not trying to boil him down just to Casey Jones. It's just I've seen him actually in a lot of things of late and every time I see him, I think, oh, that's Casey Jones. He, or, that was the first place that a lot of us – Became familiar with him, so there's nothing wrong with that. Or side note, the skinhead from Some Kind of Wonderful. Well, there you go. See, you have two cultural references you can pull from. <laughs> yeah, so broad, so broad. Speaking of broads, there's another <laughs> well-known uh, face in the cast of 1989's Blood Red. In fact, maybe it's the thing that this movie is most known for, if it's known at all. It's the only film that features the pairing of Eric Roberts and Julia Roberts. It's true. And it's true. Seeing her play his sister reminds me how little I think they look like each other. <laughs> no kidding, right? <laughs> she sta- the whole family, she stands out the most where I'm like, she doesn't belong there. She's not a part of this family. It's a, it's a really um, noticeable role because we're so familiar with Julia Roberts, right? But while I was watching this movie, I didn't realize that it was filmed in 1986 and came out in 1989. So I was constantly being distracted at how young she looked, considering that this movie would have come out right around the same time as Pretty Woman came out. I, I'm i not going to lie. I, there's some part of me felt like the only reason this movie came out was because of Pretty Woman. Like some part of me feels like someone saw this and said – you know what? We don't need to release this. Like, this is a waste of time. And then Pretty Woman hits and they're like, oh, we have a Julia Roberts movie. Put that out. Put that out. What's that line? It's like, this movie didn't get released. It, it escaped. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
Yeah, I mean, I again, I, I imagine there was some sort of production trouble that held it up for so long, considering that even uh, the the level of stardom of Eric Roberts kind of shifted a little bit between 86 and 89 as well. But this still had a very recognizable cast. You did have Dennis Hopper, even though he's not really the star, he just kind of appears in and out throughout the movie. I mean, he's, he still was a well-known face at that time, post... Uh, uh, in fact, I guess this would have been filmed right around the same time as his resurgence through Blue Velvet. So, uh, I mean, I imagine it would have gotten a release anyway. But, uh, yeah, it's, it is – I'm not going to say it's a disappointment because I'm not sure I really had high expectations going into it. But as the movie started, like the first 10, 15 minutes, I was, I was starting to gear up almost for – a King of the Gypsies type movie in the sense that it was going to dip into a lot of the history of these families and you're going to learn about their customs, but that gets thrown out the window almost immediately. It does feel like there's all this character motivation and character coloring that should be in the movie that's just missing. Yeah. The only, the only tension they start the movie with is this rivalry between these two older Sicilian farmers. Right. They never explain it. And then it goes away because they have to unite against Dennis Hopper. And it's such a – there's just too many moments like that where if I describe it to you, it could be so interesting and it's wasted in the movie. Just totally uh, not highlighted, not focused on, just kind of like, oh, this happened. I mean even even the – way that the railroad has been treating the community. That's a info dump from one character during a scene that doesn't really have much to do. You know, it's just her being like, this is what's happened. I mean, you couldn't show us like what's going on. Right <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, it, just understanding where all the characters are coming from. They're just such cartoon characters. It, it, it's really hard to care. Now, Liam, we do have to talk about why we're both here today. Sure. Which is Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts is, the real star of this movie. He is the person that's at the center of all the action. At the first, at the beginning of it, he's sort of like a wild card. In fact, we first get introduced to him in like a brothel. And, uh, but, but he becomes a little more sympathetic as the film progresses. But I do I love, have. To- wait, wait, wait. I love that you just said brothel. I think that's just a nice lady's house that he's secretly having sex with. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I think she's actually a respectable woman around the community, but she's, you know, in a dalliance. I'm assuming she's a widow or something like that. She has that nice house. Yeah, she's just a rich lady whose husband is dead is what I got out. This is the problem with the movie, Doug, is that it doesn't, you know, they show that scene and you think, oh, he's in a ne'er-do-well place. But then they show the same place later on. It's just her nice house. I don't, I don't think it's a brothel. Yeah, but remember what was happening uh, is that they brought his clothing to Eric Roberts' character for him to put on. Sure. And it must have been first thing in the morning, right? So, yes, I guess he was having sex. But, like, another woman – uh, announced that to her, so that's just now her I'm that's her like her maid. Oh, maybe I guess I just have to think that all well-to-do females who live on their their own must be high-priced prostitutes. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm not here to judge you, my friend. All right, well, I don't judge prostitutes. If she was a prostitute, I certainly wasn't holding that against her. I sure. just thought she was definitely a prostitute. <laughs> I don't think so. I think that's – I think – I think uh, – I don't think – Well, I'm- we're just going to have to agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Let me call up the filmmaker right now and ask him, A, why his movie sucks so bad, and B, if that woman was a prostitute. <laughs> Questions for the ages. Now, I would have to say, Liam, and you can agree or disagree on this point, that Eric Roberts looks a little disinterested in this movie. Yeah, I mean he has – 
I said that none of the action sequences were that spectacular, and they're not. But he has, of the ones that there are, he has a few interesting moments. And he goes, there's a scene where he takes on almost the whole gang and somehow gets away. And he sort of breezes through that scene like he doesn't really care what's happening right now. He's just sort of like, "Eh, I'm shooting these guys. I'm just going (laughs) to head behind the bar. I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Like, I, I don't get a lot out of him in this role. Yeah, he doesn't have much fire in him, which is really strange because this really was filmed just three years or so after the Pope of Greenwich Village, which is such a, you know, anxious, nervy, energy filled performance. And here it's not that I would say he's sleepwalking necessarily, but it just seems like he's disconnected from the character. But again, I guess there isn't a lot of character motivation going on, so you can't necessarily blame him. But, you know, considering that the whole second half of the movie is based on his thirst for revenge and uh and and uh and and uh basically bringing the wrath of god down on these evil characters that murdered his father you would expect a little bit more intensity certainly when he's defending his actions and pointing out how he's honoring his father's legacy you'd expect him to give a little bit to to, to for i mean what an opportunity for him to emote anything and he just seems to be present. He again, he's not like absent from the film. You don't feel like he doesn't care at all, but it's not the sort of performance I think that some of his better performances represent. I would agree 100%, but that does beg the question. For Liam O'Donnell, your first real co-hosting appearance here, your post uh blood oath appearance here on Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Does this movie confirm or refute the theme of this very podcast? Is Eric Roberts the fucking man? It's a hard question. I, I Don't I know it. I kind of want to lean towards it refutes it, mm. especially because he doesn't seem to be – even if the movie is as bad as it is, he could have taken that role. I mean there's there's some real juicy moments there he could have taken and really run with, and he doesn't as much. So I, I'm leaning towards refute – but then again, I mean, it is a role that involves him basically seducing multiple women in a mm-hmm. weird way. His hair is awesome. Yeah, yeah. And and he does shoot a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of people he shoots and things he blows up. So uh, I don't, I'm going to say it, it doesn't refute the statement that he's the fucking man. But I don't know that you could bring it up as strong evidence. It's at best neutral, I think. I was really struggling with this one, whether I would give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to the Eric Roberts performance in Blood Red. I've decided to go with one severed thumb, a la the Pope of Greenwich Village. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to put it strictly in the middle. As you mentioned, there were opportunities to bring that intensity to the role, but this is just a poor movie from start to finish. It just is really misguided, really... I, I said that his his performance seemed dis, seems disinterested, but the movie itself seems disinterested in its own plot. It kind of forgets it as it goes along. All of that kind of immediate texture at the beginning, they just throw it all out uh, at, at like the twenty minute or half hour mark of of the movie. It's just a mess. It's really really bad, and I wouldn't say it's unwatchable. Some of it is very pretty, like I mean, the cinematography is very uh, competent, but uh, but. In terms of the writing, in terms of the performances, even with the cast, which has a lot of recognizable names, this is just a bad movie. Thanks for picking it, Liam O'Donnell. <laughs> I blame you entirely. 
It's my fault. I was I was seduced by the idea of a Eric Roberts, Dennis Hopper, Michael Madsen movie. We but... were all seduced by that idea. We were all seduced. <laughs> but now now we've come to the end and discovered our punishment. Our punishment was having to watch Blood Red from 1989. By the way, Blood Red, it gives the impression of a kind of movie that this movie does not deliver. <laughs> No, I it, the entire idea of naming it Blood Red, e- even if you're going with the concept of family lines, sure. it's, it's really not there. It's not a big – I mean all we really get of Sicilians is like if you yell enough in front of them, then they'll get axe handles and, and <laughs> defend their land. And mildly, very sh- – you know, they're, they really defend the land through one major attack – like one major incident and then it's kind of like, oh, well, I mean I guess we're done. I like how the sheriff is completely awful and totally just goes along with whoever's got the most power at any particular time. But at the end, he suddenly shoots a bad guy and we're supposed to think, hey, he's on the right side now. But it's like he's still a really bad sheriff. A lot of people have died by that point. He could have stepped in at any moment. Right. His town's kind of gotten overrun and like most of the major Sicilian families have been run out. uh, It's – I also have this weird anxiety with the film in the sense of um, I like railroads. So, I mean. <laughs> yeah. And I don't like wine. So tear down that fucking town. Yeah. Fuck that shit. No. Fuck these Sicilians. <laughs> Your opinions on immigration, I have to say, are not very progressive. No, I, I definitely need to. This <laughs> land. The <laughs> land. That's what we care about. Yeah. Apparently. I don't – I mean they do a good job of making sure that Dennis Hopper's Irish uh, railroad owner uh, character is – I just want to build me railroad He's the rule your town. E- even his nefarious cohorts are like, are you sure we can do this? And he's like, it'll be fine. Just do it. I like, I like how all throughout the movie he's like, we can't build around it. That would be so expensive. And at the end he's like, maybe we'll build around it. <laughs> Well, also, I love that at the very end, his comeuppance is everyone in the town comes out and he's like, ah, to hell with you. And he just leaves. It's very strange, especially that moment, the way it plays out. You know, spoiler alert. He (laughs) just throws the guns down. He says, I've thrown down my guns. And then (laughs) and then he throws out his gun. You know, Eric Roberts throws down his gun. And that's it. And then you're and honestly, as it ended, I thought. Wasn't that kind of ambiguous? Like, there's no guarantee that they're not going to come back with a bigger gang of dudes to harass everybody. <laughs> yeah, because Burt Young isn't the most intimidating fucking guy in the world. <laughs> Happy birthday, Polly. But, uh, yes. So don't go watch this movie, which we apparently could talk about for hours, even though we both <laughs> despised it. Let's go and take our next break and come back and talk about something a lot more pleasant. That more pleasant thing is... Best of the Best 2 from 1993. We'll take our break and we'll be right back.
sport becomes a blood sport. Did you kill Travis Brickley? Easily. Only the best survive. Bring me the one who did this. One after. We gotta do something. I am one of three people that can teach you to beat Baracus. If you're gonna fight him, you must be prepared to die. I look forward to killing you. Don't get on it. Longtime listeners of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man will remember that way back in episode number three, we talked about 1989's Best of the Best, where Eric Roberts uh, appears as a member of this American uh, – what kind of martial arts is it? Not karate. Is it uh, taekwondo? I, th- I think it's ta- – well, in the film, they say karate o- yeah. over again, but I was sure it was taekwondo. Right, because the whole – the idea of it is that they're facing this Korean team who, of course, do know Taekwondo. But anyway, I digress. Uh, best of the Best was a uh, pretty big success back in 1989. And, of course, that means a sequel. Just a few years later, we got Best of the Best 2, which uh, returned uh, many of the major actors and characters from the first film in it, including, of course, Mr. Eric Roberts and including, of course, Chris Penn, who once again appears unbelievably as a top tier underground fighter <laughs> just remember that this came out the year after reservoir Dogs. well and try to believe that i feel like that's the unstated uh theme of this episode in that you asked me about tarantino michael madsen was in the last movie and now chris mm-hmm. penn is in this movie that's right. That's right. And I imagine if Chris Penn was still with us, that he would still be appearing in Quentin Tarantino movies. But instead, he appeared in Best of the Best 2 and Fist of the North Star a few years after that. Oh, God. <laughs> we don't have to watch that one. Now, Best of the Best 2 was uh, directed by Robert Radler, who also directed the first Best of the Best, and also 11 episodes of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. He went on to direct a lot of television work. But I did want to take a quick moment to talk about the writers of this movie, because one of them, is John Allen Nelson. And John Allen Nelson is actually fairly well known as an actor because he appeared as the police officer in Killer Clowns from Outer Space and as well as the lead of Deathstalker and the Warriors from Hell, which appeared on Mystery Science Theater. So that's what I know him for. from. Do you know John Allen Nelson? I Well, I'm familiar with Killer Clowns from Outer Space, but trying to picture the, the police officer, I, I got nothing. And I've never seen Deathstalker and the Warriors from Hell at all. Well, you are a disappointment. Uh, but he did he did co-write Best of the Best, too. Now, a friend of the show and former guest Will Harris asked Eric Roberts himself about Best of the Best and Best of the Best, too. And here's a quick quote about that. Eric Roberts says, That was maybe the most fun physically I've ever had making movies. It was like boys camp. I got to work out the body at the gym every morning. Then you'd go to the goju and get ready for the moves of the day. And then you'd go to the set and shoot a karate movie. It ended up being a wonderful movie about triumph. And I'm very proud of that first film, Best of the Best. It's a really good movie. And Will asks, given that you clarify that you're proud of the first film, how do you feel about the sequel? And he says, well, it was still an absolute boys camp and it was still fun. But the only thing I was really sad about was Best of the Best 3 and 4. They're like home movies. They're really bad. We had a really good franchise going. I would have loved to have stayed with the kind of quality we had on the first film and a little bit on the second film. I wish we could have stayed up there. And now that does beg the question to you, Liam. Do you prefer 
best of the best one or two. Well, as I already stated, I don't <laughs> think I've seen best of the best one. I'm now completely confused after watching best of the best two if I've ever seen best of the best one. Though, again, you know, I have all these memories of Chris Penn and Eric Roberts in a movie together uh, from from, you know, this was in when I first got cable. Best of the best is a movie that would show up on USA. Uh, you're Canadian, so you probably don't know about that. But uh, USA? USA Network. And yeah, T- I, I, I live in the country next to yours. I'm aware of all your cultural records. No, I get it. You're, you're in a cave somewhere uh, with elk and stuff. But, uh, you know, on USA and TBS on the weekends, they'd show all manner of sh- TBS? Oh, yeah, TBS. <laughs> they always show all manner of just fucking random action movies. Right. And, uh, you know, long ago, I've, I've, I've definitely seen Best of the Best too, and I think I've seen Best of the Best 1, but like I said, my memories are all confused because as I started watching Best of the Best 2, I was like, oh, wait, I've seen this movie. Wait, what's going on right now? Well, Best of the Best 2 is really strange in a lot of ways. Now, uh, again, anyone who's familiar with the first movie, it's really about a team, a karate team from the USA that's led by James Earl Jones as their coach. Uh, and they go off and fight this Korean team in Korea. And it's it's interesting. It It actually is a lot of fun. But this movie is so... They go right into kind of a really different direction in terms of action movies. Let me just uh, read the, the plot summary quickly. In an underground fight club, black belt Travis Brickley is killed, spoiler alert, <laughs> after losing to the evil martial arts master Brackus. Travis's death is witnessed by Walter Grady, the son of his best friend Alex Grady, uh, played by Eric Roberts. Alex and his partner, Tommy Lee, vow to avenge their friend's death by defeating Brackus and shutting down the fight club. Yeah, it's about an underground fight ring. Uh, hosted by Wayne Newton, <laughs> and it's owned in. It's like in this casino that's owned by this giant, like massive fucking German dude named Brackus. And Brackus, he has these this, these like underground fights happening in front of them. And if you win enough of them, you get to fight Brackus. And then he fights the guy, and I guess he sometimes kills them because that's what he did. <laughs> that's what he did with Chris Penn's character. Uh, so yeah, it, it's a really different tone to the first movie. But I have to say. I actually like it a lot more. It's it's so much fun and it's so silly, but uh, it builds really well. Brackus is a great villain because he's German and he's an asshole. Um, and, and I'm not saying that all Germans are assholes, but this one is. But you really <laughs> want to see him get his comeuppance uh, because he's like really pissed at Philip Reeves' character, um, Tommy Lee, because he, he managed to cut his face. So he is determined to murder him because of that. Uh, so it's a really uh, fun – uh, well-paced, uh, goofy movie for much of his running time. Eric Roberts is the star, but it's really him and Philip Ree who are who are kind of co-stars. They're really at the center of it. And Chris Penn is there to sort of kick off the action. It is nice to see those relationships continue from the first movie, though in the first movie, Chris Penn's character was a total and complete fucking asshole for like 99% of the running time. Here, he's just kind of a dick. You don't really get a sense of him being like a total racist like he was previously. Um... So let's go back to Chris Penn for a moment. What defines Chris Penn as a character in this movie, Liam O'Donnell? Well, I actually found his character a little strange, only in that when we first see him, he it's all about his ego. It's all about that he's this great fighter. And then right. later on, it's like, oh, wait, no, I have a life where I nurture other you know young kids and i'm <laughs> I'm sort of like a fun like he's like the he's like the naughty uncle, you know, which. The naughty uncle is clearly, you know, more edgy than 
Eric Roberts' character, who's the dad, he's a very nurturing, wholesome dad right. uh, in a lot of ways. And so Chris Penn's sort of like the mildly rebellious uncle in that sense. But it's weird how quickly he switches to, oh, and now I'm going to go to the underground fighting ring that is <laughs> – it's it's he takes it so naturally. It's he, he His character expresses no anxiety about being like – very little anxiety at least about being like, yeah, come with me. I'm sure it will be fine. I'm sure I won't get murdered. That's not a thing. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be I like okay. how he's fi- he seems to be fighting like on like a weekly basis or sometimes multiple fights in a night. Now I do know cuz this came out in 1993 and I guess Ultimate Fighting Championship was starting up just around that same time, right? So the popularity of the idea of like cage fighting and underground fighting was probably, you know, near its peak in terms of interest at that time period or like at least curiosity. People really wanted to know what it was all about. But the idea of people fighting that often in something that physical and that person who's doing that very physical fighting being Chris Penn was a little hard to believe. It's hard to picture him beating up at that was especially his ego. He's talking to this guy who's the head. He's the he's, he's undefeated. He's the <laughs> largest man you've ever seen fight someone else in a real way. Like, he you know, literally played Conan the Barbarian in a TV series. So a guy who basically looks like Mr. Universe and is known for never being beaten. And he doesn't – like he's he's actively campaigning to fight this guy. Just put me in the ring with your boy. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you, you – you, I really don't – I don't get the feeling. At first when he started doing that, I thought it was – she was showing off for the – he's – I mean that's what's so strange is the first <laughs> time we see him after he's fought, he's surrounded by ladies – He's like smoking a cigar. He seems like a real heel. And then when later on when he's like not that, it's very strange. But yeah. in that moment when he's challenging him, at first I thought, is he just showing off for these ladies? But it continues on. Even when he gets into the match, no part of him is like, oh, maybe this was not a good idea. He's just really into it. And then he's getting destroyed. He doesn't even vaguely fight back. It's so embarrassing. That yeah, it's really You couldn't have him get like one shot in? Just like <laughs> just dead. <laughs> but uh, his death does kind of uh, push forward the rest of the plot. And, of course, his death is is witnessed by Eric Roberts' son in the movie. Those who have seen the first Best of the Best will remember. I think his son was in an accident or something and was on uh, – and almost didn't pull through. And then he pulls through and that's part of the action. I think that's what happens in the first one because I could remember Eric Roberts crying a lot in regards to that. But in this one, his son has grown a bit. He's a teenager. He's precocious. And I got to say, this fucking little wiener – but he just – he drove me nuts every time the film focused on him for more than a couple of second, seconds with his annoying voice and irritating manner. I did not forgive him. Like from the moment he did – Kid couldn't even uh, break, a, break a piece of wood in two. As soon, oh, I think it was the brick. He did the wood. He was fine. <laughs> oh, he wood, got the wood? But then he got no the brick. brick. And he tried the brick like so many times and then I guess it, it has this classic moment with you know Eric Roberts is like, it's you know the way you handle that failure. And – in that moment, I thought, I don't know. I, I think he's a loser. I think he's okay. a real loser. So, so let's paint that scene a little bit. We have a table full of these students that just had this kind of exhibition, right? And Eric Roberts, who was one of the judges of that exhibition, by the way, <laughs> seems a little unfair. And his son is sitting at the table. Eric Roberts decides to do a toast to his son in front of all of these other people who just succeeded in this exhibition to say – Son, because you were so gracious in failure, I'm more proud than I've ever been in my life. But you know that deep down he was thinking, loser! Loser! (laughs) (laughs) But everyone, like, everyone claps for his son as he singles him out. And I'm just thinking, look, 
I hate bullies. I hate the idea of bullying. But if I was any one of these other kids around the table, I would take that kid out back and beat the shit out of him. <laughs> Man, that's... I'd be like, you are the concrete block. I'm going to chop you in two. <laughs> you, are, you are destroying all of my stereotypes of Canadians right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. that no, I mean, I, I didn't feel that strong. I, at that moment, I just kind of thought, well, this is kind of weird. It, it doesn't really make sense in the moment. It seems like a really cheap, <laughs> you know. And then as the movie goes on, I expected there to be an arc to the kid. Since we started with this kid's basically abject failure when he's the son of this, you know, I guess we're supposed to think martial arts. But it's like the focus of the film never comes back. The kid still is important to the plot, but his personal performance doesn't really matter. The rest of the movie is just about him screaming in fear and saying, Dad! And that's just like the rest of the movie. It's just, you know, he's just there as the object of uh, possible violence. You know, we got to protect the kid. Although I will give him this. He's very good at ducking bullets. A lot of bullet ducking mm. from the kid. Yeah. Yeah, he, well, he's got he's got the moves that he's he's inherited from his father, I guess. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, one of the notable things about both Best of the Best and Best of the Best Two is that it doesn't show off a lot of Eric Roberts' martial arts skills in it. I mean, he gets a few notable fight scenes in this movie, but most of the work is done by by his good friend Philip Ree, uh, who uh, you know, since he's kind of this spearheading. The idea be- behind this movie, I think he produced all of the the series. Um, then I guess he certainly do that. But it's it's still funny to think that the main martial arts hero of the movie barely gets to kick anyone's ass in a hand to hand combat. Yeah, there's a lot of the scenes are cut to show uh, his partner hitting five guys while Eric Roberts is still taking out like one guy. You know, it's it's very much like, oh, that's a bunch of – and Eric Roberts, oh, he kicked a guy. Okay, now we're going back at the other dude and then Eric – oh, he, he kicked another guy. Okay, that's good. You know, it's doesn't – it's it's not that impressive, his work in it. Now, tell me a little bit about your feelings about Wayne Newton. <laughs> um, I was actually impressed by Wayne Newton in this movie a little bit. I feel like the role was ridiculous enough that having him in the role was – Kind of a good call. I I really loved him as this sort of uh, the he, he's the money behind the you know the German just wants to fight people and so he's mm. the money guy he's the money grubbing you know promo guy and he's so slimy and honestly the only thing I could think was isn't this like kind of a raw move for Wayne Newton maybe I don't understand Wayne Newton's fan base that they would be like oh no I love Wayne as the as the sleazy sleazeball in the movie Wayne Newton and this is for pro wrestling fans is the Paul Heyman for Braxis's uh, Brock Lesnar I appreciate now, you you wouldn't understand that but people listening would <laughs> I'm not a big wrestling person though no, that's that's okay. I was just giving a little comparison for people to glom onto. But you're absolutely right. Wayne Newton is a wonderful sleaze ball in this movie. He's one of the best parts of it. And uh, but I am disappointed that you didn't uh, also mention his other great sleaze ball role, which is of course in the Andrew Dice Clay classic, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Oh, oh my God! I forgot about that movie. Holy crap! Yeah, I didn't. I didn't remember him in that at all. Well, he's in that, and he's a fucking asshole, in it. <laughs> and it's great, and he's great here too, playing a very similar role. In fact, this should have been like his thing all throughout the 1990s, just playing the worst scumbag in every single movie, because he is very believable as a real garbage person. Not only is he skeevy, but he makes some of the worst. Do you remember when he makes an MC Hammer joke during one of the fights? Oh <laughs> man, Fuck. I thought Hammer was a rapper. 
<laughs> what do I know? <laughs> the weird part is he makes that joke and they immediately cut to two black people. They just, they just look, they're laughing at the joke. So it's okay. Like that was <laughs> a, the quick cut. I was like, what? You didn't need to do that. It's fine. Like he's a villain. I don't need you to justify his MC hammer joke. Now there is another character in this movie played by a recognizable actor uh, at about the halfway mark of the movie. Eric Roberts and his good friend and his son are on the run from these uh, killers because what they did is they go to the casino after Chris Penn's death. They try to get a um, uh, confirmation about what happened. When they find out that he was actually murdered, they cause a big ruckus. And I can't remember why they can't go to the police. I guess they feel like they don't have enough evidence when you feel like that, that you know, just trying to prove that there's underground fighting going on would be very easy to do since it seems like everyone knows about it. Um, but they go on the run because um, – because Wayne Newton's men are trying to kill them. And they end up at this Native American farm. And we discover that Philip Reese's character was actually, I guess, raised by his grandmother, who's Native American. But they also, <laughs> at the same time, need to be taught special skills in order to beat Brackus. Now, you think that special skill might have been a gun. <laughs> yeah, that would have been helpful. <laughs> That would have been helpful. That would have done the trick because, you know, there's really no way to predict that they're going to be forced into a martial arts tournament at some point. But, no, it's actually from Predator, Sonny Landham plays Philip Ree's uncle, I guess? Yeah, I think it's He's the son of of the grandmother. Sure, sure. And they have a background which is not really elaborated on. And he's a drunk and doesn't seem very, um physically um capable <laughs> oh he doesn't he doesn't seem like he could fight anything and he proves that by their first confrontation they beat the shit out of him <laughs> yeah Qu- quite easily to the point where he's literally spitting up blood and eric roberts is just laughing in his face but we are taught by the movie that this is the only man who can teach them the skills to beat Brackus. And in the end, I mean, he just teaches them skills with the pole, right? All he does, he says, if you go in the tournament, <laughs> there's going to be a point where you need this pole. <laughs> so you'll need these pole skills. And they're like, the funny thing is, in the tournament, that pole thing seems to only happen kind of like randomly in the middle of the final fight after the fight has been going on for quite a while. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Also, it's ridiculous to think. That we're supposed to believe that both Philip Ree and Eric Roberts don't know what to do with the pole to the, such an extent that they're hitting themselves in the face with it when they try to spin it around. And the only thing he teaches them is – well, he teaches them two things. One, how to spin it around. And two, that you should never bend over to pick it up because someone will kick you in the face. So just use your foot to bring it up to your hands. I mean, let's not downplay the spinning the pole. That seems like a very <laughs> important part of the movie. Um, yeah, I mean, the pole scene in the actual fight just seemed like an excuse to bring out more mob. You know, the movie is kind of itching to get dirty. You know, right? It, the movie is like, let's take best of the best and put it in kind of an exploitation-y kind of context. Sure. So it's like, oh, you know, we haven't had enough butts in this movie. Let's have a scene where, for no reason at all, anyone could bring the poles. Anyone could introduce the poles of the fight. But we have to stop the fight and have two ladies come out to hand us the poles because that's a very important part of martial arts is the pole handing by the ladies. <laughs> the, and who can handle a pole better than those ladies? Um, 
But it, I mean, obviously, this movie's trying to enter, you know, kind of like a blood sport element sure, into sure. the best of the best framework. And this is their Kumite is here in this casino fighting this giant German man. Now, I'm a little sketchy on what the rules of this underground fighting tournament are, because at one point in the lead up to the fight with Brackus, Philip Ree has to fight a guy with nunchucks. And like the dude is really good. And but if he could just bring any weapon he wanted into it, then why doesn't he just always bring a weapon? <laughs> I, I feel like he was at like a massive disadvantage to be facing a guy with two weapons while he has zero. I'm really surprised that you are confused about the rules, considering uh, Wayne Newton makes it very clear that the only <laughs> rules is that there are no rules, which he says again and again. And I I have to agree with you. I, I wonder if this is almost a direct reference to Ultimate Fighting, which also touted the fact that there were no rules until things got so gross they had to introduce rules because yeah. it was not – Guys were getting knocked in the nuts again and again and again. They're like, well, that and maybe gouging people in the eyes and shit and yeah. fish hooking their mouths. Let's remove some of that stuff. Yeah. We got to have some <laughs> – and I, you know, Wayne Newton, I'm sure if someone had just come into the ring and shot Brackus. Yeah, right? Okay, new rule. Or, no or a guy brings out like a giant sword or something like that and he's like, time to go. I feel like Brackus could handle a sword. Let's Let's make that clear. I feel like he would know what to do. Now, I do have to give Brackus some credit. And he does he does do something in this movie that I wasn't expecting. So they are basically at the end forcing they've they've they think that Eric Roberts and his son and Philip Rees extended Native American family are all dead. So they bring Philip back to Las Vegas and the casino to participate in this underground fighting tournament, and then he will eventually get to fight Brackus, who will kill him in the ring. That's what's happening in the very end of the movie. Now before the final fight, they actually let him rest, and they don't try to stab him or, like, beat sure, the shit sure. out of him. Like, I was totally expecting that right before the final fight with Brackus, he'd, he'd get his men to bring him into a back room and just beat the fucking shit out of him so he would be at a disadvantage, more than the disadvantage of having already fought, like, three guys um, before the major fight. But he doesn't do that. He wants to fight him fair and square. I mean, fair and square, he's still in a situation where he can't leave and yeah. he has no choice. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I think there is an aspect to the character that's about ego. You know, the, I understand that that Brackus doesn't need a gun or his direct support, but he bans all of the security from having guns. And there are multiple situations where you're like, man, if they had a gun, this would be over right now. <laughs> but, no kidding, right? <laughs> uh, now, uh, for those who are fans of the first movie, I should also mention that um, Philip Rees' um, brother from the first movie, his Korean brother with one eye, he has the eye patch and shit. That's like, it all comes out at the end of the movie. He's in this movie as well. And in fact, uh, when Chris Penn's character dies, him and his buddies, they all come to the funeral and say, you know, we're here to help. And you're like, wow, I wish they would help right now. But they don't, not until the end, because they have to come back and sort of help. Even in the end, it's it's not as impressive. In a movie like this, Going over the top would be so cool. At any moment, I wanted the brother not just to fight, but to, like, again, pull out some guns and start just, like, mowing down security guards. But it's <laughs> it's really like Eric Roberts has, like, three extra guys to help him fight security. Right, that's about right. the impact, you know, of the whole thing. And it's uh, it was a little disappointing. I, I really like that aspect of those kinds of movies you, where they're you like – You think he could have called the cops and say, my friend, my friend have been, has been kidnapped and forced into an underground fighting ring? Like, at that point, you think calling the police would have been – 
justified. You think at some point they would at least include the scene where the police show that they don't care? Like, yeah, or that they've been bought off or something like that. I mean, because the dudes show up to their house, they shoot up the house, then they blow up the the Native American house. Like, it's it's not just pressure. Like, there's clear violations of law going on. Yeah, right. Like, like attempted murder again and again. Eventually, you know. Even the even the awful corrupt police of the United States of America would eventually have to step in. It is strange to think about. This is <laughs> I feel like this time period, like the later eighties into the nineties, had a lot of these uh, Americanized martial arts movies that had a lot of white guys in them, like just a yeah. lot of martial arts white guys. Even if the focus is not on them alone, like it's you know the they're they're still the Korean character in a in, exactly. in the film. There he's still surrounded by white dudes just a lot of white dudes and then when they bring in the native american aspect i just was kind of like so now the uh korean martial artist and his white buddy who's kind of more the focus of the film in a lot of ways have to go to the native american land to get the magical help with the pole fighting like yeah. so much about this is very weird yeah just, there's some strange racial elements going on in this movie and especially for what they were doing like uh why would you have to go to a native american reservation to learn about pole fighting it's very <laughs> i don't understand but what oh you just don't get it Leo. i really don't i really do not but at, at the same time i mean this is a credit to the film even as I'm noticing the weird things, I'm like, well, that's very strange. At no point did it take me enough out of the film that I stopped enjoying myself. I was like, all right, yeah, that's what we're doing right now. For me, the more ridiculous it got, the better. Now, also, on that note, since we're going back to the Native American part, so Sonny Landham's character says that he knows Brackus. And in fact, he has this huge scar because they fought before at some point. And he's like, the only way you're going to beat him is through this bullfighting or whatever. And I'm like, isn't that a really major coincidence? <laughs> That this relative of this other character has fought this guy who runs an underground fighting ring before? I mean, it just seems like when he said that, I'm like, how does that connect up? What is the history here? You'd think they could add even just a like a five minute scene of <laughs> the pa- you know what I mean? Like it wouldn't extend the movie, it wouldn't like kill it too much just to be like, okay, well, here's what happened, here's why. All these people are connected, but there's nothing. It's just a, you know, he's got a scar. He says, you know, uh, what did he say? Like Brackus, wa- Brackus was the accident, and I was the car, or something. Like that. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> now we have to talk about something very, very important now, which is that there is a scene in this movie where Eric Roberts faces off against Jason Voorhees. Oh, right. I meant to mention that and I forgot, but I was going to ask you, was that Kane Hodder? Is that Kane Hodder in that in that back door? He's the back door security guy who well, was that just a pointy stick he had in that scene? <laughs> that is Kane Hodder playing the back door uh, security guard. I think he may have been in the first best of the best as well now that I think about it, but he's definitely in this one and he does get his hand stabbed by Eric Roberts. Yeah, I mean, it's a very quick you know the 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 he's in it twice because he's also there. I mean that whole setup is when Chris Penn brings Eric Roberts' son to the you know so we get a little character sure. there. And that was when I first thought like is that Kane Hodder? And then when they fight, it's literally two seconds. Like Kane Hodder pulls up again. I think it's a pointy stick. I think he has pointy a pointy stick, no gun. Yeah, he's got a pointy stick, and then Eric Roberts stabs in his hand, and then we're good. That's it. 
strangely, that's right after uh, Wayne Newton confirms that there's extra security. So apparently there's extra <laughs> yeah, security right. everywhere but on the back door. <laughs> the, the easiest entrance into the place. But, I mean, that is just more proof that Eric Roberts uh, can beat most of the major movie monsters in hand-to-hand combat. Um, the other thing to note is that David Boreanaz from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Bones uh, it has a small part in this movie. I did not see him in it, but he is listed on the IMDb as playing like a suited thug. I did not see him even for one second. He must have been very young at the time. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, he cer- certainly didn't have the the character of uh, of Angel. You know, that's <laughs> he didn't quite get an Angel moment. He didn't. He didn't even get a Bones moment. To be fair, the, the the connections now, knowing he's in the movie, you're you're fucking with me even more here because he's mm-hmm. he's from Philadelphia. Flip 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 Philadelphia. <laughs> Don't judge my city. Come on. <laughs> I'm not judging anything. <laughs> uh, I'm uh, I'm I've lost my train of thought because now I'm all I can think about is David Boreanaz and your history with him in Philadelphia. <laughs> I heard he's an asshole in real life. I'm sure that's true. His, but his dad, uh, I think his dad is on. I don't know if he's a weatherman or a newscaster, but he's mm. on TV. He's famous. He's on TV, and from what I hear, he's a very nice guy. But I've never interacted with him myself. Well, I'll have to do a little research on that. But let's get to the meat. No, wait, not the meat. Eric Roberts doesn't eat meat. Let's get to the vegetables of the issue. Eric Roberts in this movie is he the fucking man or no? I as much as I would say that he does not get as much on-screen ass-kicking time as I would like. He's definitely the man. I mean, he looks uh, majestic in a very early 90s way. He's got lots of shirt-off time. Um, He has a touching moment with his son, uh, mm-hmm. For no reason, that doesn't actually help the movie at all, and uh, yeah. and he does his he, he does a significant amount of he certainly lasts longer than Chris Penn. So yeah, I'm gonna go with he is the fucking man in this movie. There is an amazing moment in this movie where Eric Roberts, who is um, he, he is dating a sportscaster on the local news from They Live. Uh, yeah, uh, Meg uh, I can't remember Meg Foster is that right? Yeah, she's also from Masters of the Universe. Um, oh shit, and- I forgot. Yeah, so so he goes to the news station and he's like, "You got to interrupt your broadcast, your live sports broadcast, and accuse Brackus of murdering my friend." And she's like, "I this is going live. I can't. I'm I do sports. I can't accuse someone of murder." And then he like browbeats her in front of everybody and acts like a total asshole because she's not going to accuse someone with no evidence in her sportscast, which will certainly get her fired from her job. And he treats her like absolute garbage, which I thought was the most amazing thing in the world. Now, I'm right with you. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. It's the name of the podcast. This movie does support it in all sorts of different ways. But I do have to take certain umbrage from the fact that between Best of the Best 1 and Best of the Best 2, he cut his hair down. I mean, you probably could have built another person out of the amount of hair that he's missing in this movie compared to the first one. Well, and now you're by. I didn't know that, and you're actually confirming that I've seen the first movie because I my first memory of Eric Roberts is him with majestic hair kicking ass. He has majestic, like it. It's like an eagle is perched on his head in the first best of the best. Here he has a very sensible 1993 haircut. It's 1993. I mean, he's got to move on with his life. 
We were we we were both there in 1993. We know what it was like. It's true. I um did not have quite the majestic hair that he has in the first movie. Uh, mm-hmm. by 1993, though, I'm pretty sure I did have lightning bolts shaved into the side of my head. Nice. Uh, did you have a chip and pepper t- uh, T-shirt, which changed color if you put a hot hand on it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think. Well, I don't know if by 93 I had. I think 93 was the awkward transition uh, between the sort of, uh, you know, very kind of MC Hammer inspired hip hop style into what was eventually coming down the road with like uh, punk and things like that. So I think that was an awkward phase where I was wearing a lot of turtlenecks with T-shirts over top and um, Bugle Boy pants. Well, speaking of awkward transitions, let's take our final break. (laughs) And when we come back, we'll do a little plugging. We'll plug a little bit and we'll do a little sign off for all of you wonderful people on this episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. We will be right back. Like a rock, like a planet, like a fucking animal. I'll remain unperturbed by the joy and the madness that I encounter everywhere I turn. I've seen it all along. It looks in magazines, like a trick before Blood Red from 1989 and 1993's Best of the Best 2. Two films featuring Eric Roberts, picked by the new co-host of the show, Liam O'Donnell. Liam, thank you so much for contributing and continuing to contribute to this wonderful Eric Roberts-based podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited for our future of Eric Roberts watching, dissecting, and honoring such a great man. How's that finger feeling after that prick earlier? Uh, you know, it hurts a little bit, but I, I have diabetes, so I'm used to it. Oh my goodness, you should have said that beforehand. Well, now I'm no, I'm no longer worthy. Is that the? <laughs> <laughs> you can't bring that sugar blood here for Eric Roberts. It just goes in the, the 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 vault in my mind of things to sometimes reference on the show about Liam O'Donnell. Liam, oh, there's so many though. There are, and if people want to find out more about you, not just about diabetes, but about your entire life and work, what's a good way for them to do so? Well, uh, obviously my main project is cinepunks.com. Uh, it's, you know, uh, not, ch- it, it was at one time just a podcast, and now it's it's more like a media empire is how yes. I would describe it. Uh, mm-hmm. No, 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 no. But the, the, <laughs> I have a lot, you know, my other podcasts are there. Um, there's writing going up there. Uh, if people want to hit me up on Twitter, I'm at Liam Rules. That's rules with a Z, as it should be spelled. Um, and those are sort of the two main ways for people to connect with me i also occasionally write for uh synapse c-i-n-a-p-s-e dot c-o um and it's i used to write for them more but i've gotten very busy but i still love them a lot so i like to plug them well i've also added to your workload with your eric roberts podcast that you are now forced to do so, because of your blood oath yes 
Now, uh, Liam, your podcast and your website is called Cinepunks.com because you like both cinema and punk music. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I think that is – I mean we. it's not just our appreciation of them but our feelings that there is more overlap than people realize uh, and our hope that we can find in sort of praising both uh, the musical scene of which we are a part and the movies that we love that we find – uh, spaces that are helpful for everyone that that people can see connections there that mean something to them now liam do you play an instrument i do not i was briefly a vocalist of a band uh that mm. was unpopular and i will not mention the name so no one will go and try to find us but, Blood oath! <laughs> but the, yeah I, I i don't have any actual musical talents uh my co-host of cinepunks joshua alvarez uh, he has been in many bands. He even has a solo project where it's sort of like uh, uh, Billy Bragg esque uh, songwriting. Oh, speaking my language, sir. Yeah, and as he's, you well know. But he's been in a bunch of uh, bands in various styles. In fact, he has a new band. I don't know if they have a name yet, but he has a new kind of like fast core grindy band coming out soon with various Philadelphia celebrities in it. Philadelphia celebrities. Well, I mean, scene scene celebrities, which means like twenty people know who they are. So I guess that's. Are you part of the scene? Uh, I one of the things I do for money. So rare. It's one of the rare things I do is I help out <laughs> with uh, this is hardcore fest. And mm-hmm. uh, when I was living in the city, I also helped with booking shows and working the shows and things like that. We briefly had a venue we worked with directly, and I booked a couple shows there. Most of the shows I booked got canceled before they happened. So that was I was sort of. <laughs> the touch of death in the group is like if i got a band to play a show then that show is going to get canceled well i love living in the city (laughs) i appreciate that another 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 uh philadelphia by way of la reference there you go i'm glad that you picked up on it and i'm going to be uh fitting a lot more of those obscure irritating references into the show from now on (laughs) since i have you to throw them i'm so bummed about that but that'll be great Uh, now, if people want to follow more about Eric Roberts is the fucking man, they can, of course, go to ericrobertsistheman.com. They can go over to Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M. Keep up on all the latest Eric Roberts news. Or if you're looking for a little bit of the behind-the-scenes uh, aspects of the show, you can go over to our Facebook group. Just do a search for Eric Roberts is the man on Facebook. Remember, we are promoted not just by myself and Liam, but by Eric Roberts himself, though I'm not sure he realizes what he's promoting, <laughs> which is fine by me. <laughs> Uh, and, of course, you can find me at Doug underscore Tilly on Twitter. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And you can find my writing over at DailyGrindHouse.com, as well as details about my other podcast, No Budget Nightmares, which I do with Mo Porn. Uh, you can find more about that on NoBudgetPodcast.com. We're currently doing a giveaway of the classic low-budget ho- uh, horror movie The Dead Next Door. Uh, it's a three-disc Blu-ray set, which actually I have a commentary on with Mo uh, that you can check out as well. But I think I think I've said all I can say about Eric Roberts today. That's fair. <laughs> Is it fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we've we've really delved in with Eric Roberts. We've exhausted our Eric Roberts reserves, and that means we must take leave of the podcast for now to fill up, fill up our reserves once again so we can flow out even more Eric Roberts knowledge next time on the Eric Roberts podcast. Eric Roberts is the fucking man, episode 19. We'll be talking about two more Eric Roberts projects. But until then, I believe it's time to say good night. Say good night, Liam. Good night, Liam. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> good night, everybody. Eric Roberts.
Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can. 